the reading of God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. This is the reading of God's word. Good morning. That is a great passage right there. So we are in this series on the Holy Spirit that started the beginning of January. It will continue for at least another month, as far as I know. Um, And what we're doing is each week we're looking at a different role that the Spirit plays in our lives, a different ministry that he has in our lives. So recently we've been looking at the Spirit's role in, in our conversion, giving us new life in the beginning and then convincing us that we're God's beloved children. In the last couple weeks, we've been looking at the the Spirit's role in our life of prayer with God. And today I want to look at, I'm going to focus in on verses 5 through 8 and look at the Spirit's role in our minds. All right. Um, This is, I think, the fourth week in a row we've been in Romans 8. In case you didn't know it, Romans 8 is the Spirit chapter uh, of the Bible. And if you didn't know it, now you do. Uh, He shows up, I think, 11 times in our 11 verses in in this passage right here, or 12 verses or so. Um, So, but let me, we're going to talk about the mind today and the spirit's role in our, in our being transformed by the renewing of our minds. But I want to set this in a larger context. This month of March, we're going to be looking at the spirit's role in our sanctification. Okay. And, um, that's a big word. All that means is our trans, being transformed to be more and more like Jesus. And the whole month of March is going to be dedicated to the Spirit's role and, and the, our journey of becoming more like Jesus. And in my mind, that's kind of the, the heart and soul of the Spirit's ministry in our lives, is this process of becoming more like Jesus. And so we're going to start that today by looking at the life of the mind. But before I do that, let me just talk about sanctification for like two minutes, and then we'll, then we'll look at the life of the mind. Um, so 
Uh, here's, a, here's one person's definition of sanctification. In case that word, you hear that word, you're like, I don't know what that word means. It feels pretty theological. I don't know what you're talking about. But I think this is a pretty helpful summary of what this is. What we're talking about is the process of being formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. All right? What I mean by this is we become Christians through the Spirit. And then for the rest of our lives, we are on this journey of sanctification. And it is a process. Can I have an amen to a process? It doesn't happen overnight, right? Some of you are over 90. You can say, yeah, it's a process. It's still going on, okay? It's a process of being formed, meaning being formed by somebody else. I mean, we don't form ourselves. It is the Spirit's work, and that's what we'll be talking about in the month of March. But this is a process by which some other person is forming us into something. What is he forming us into? The image of Christ. That we are becoming more and more like Jesus, more loving, more joyful, more patient, more peaceful, more kind, more courageous, more wise. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. And all of this, not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. Because God's goal for us ultimately is that we become people who love. That we love God and we love one another. All right? So this is this journey that we're on. And the Spirit plays this key role in this process over the course of our lives. The minute we become Christians to the minute we die. Okay? And what you'll, when, you, when you hear Paul, this is written by Paul, Romans is written by Paul, when you hear him talk about sanctification, so often there's another conversation that's right next to it, and it's this conversation about the spirit and the flesh. These are like these two characters that are playing out, are, are playing out in our journey of faith. And of course, we've talked a lot about the spirit. The spirit is the, the very personal presence of God, and his role is to fill us and to transform us over time. But then Paul will talk in our passage today and other passages about the flesh. Or maybe your passage, uh, your translation says the sinful nature. And that is just really the, the natural part of us that resists the Spirit's role. It's the, it's, we're born with it. We'll talk more about it today. But it's that natural just sort of we're born with this part of us that wants to control things and resist the, the, the role of the Spirit. So we're going to see this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And then I think Paul's perspective and the New Testament perspective is this. And Joel said it earlier, that that song we just sang about new wine. When we become Christians, we are a new creation. Okay, something definitive has happened. We have been given spiritual life and we have been changed. New creation, the old is gone, the new has come. And yet anyone who's lived as a new creation knows that there's still some residual stuff in us, right, that wants to hang around. It's part of an old life. And I think Paul's perspective is um, that's exactly what it is. It's an old life, these old patterns, these old habits and practices. But transformation is about the spirit beginning to free us from that old way of thinking and acting and living so that we are moving towards wholeness in Christ, all right? So that's just, I mean, I, a lot of, this is review for a lot of you. But that is what our sanctification is all about. And we're going to see that play out in this passage today. And today, we're going to talk about our minds and how the Spirit works in our minds. I'm going to be focusing in on verses 5 through 9, mainly. And what I'm arguing is that the life of the mind, our mindset, is really where sanctification begins, it has to begin in the mind. If it doesn't begin in the mind, it's not going to happen anywhere else. 
Okay, and so that's why I think after verses one through four, where Paul reminds us of what the gospel is, he turns then right away to this conversation about the mind and the mind of the flesh versus the mind of the spirit. So we'll be talking about what does it mean to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That's Romans 12. So I want to talk about our minds this morning, okay? I want to get you thinking about your thinking today. Um, Talking about our minds, or maybe another phrase, uh, rather than minds, would be let's talk about our mindset. What is your mindset? Because that's actually what Paul says. Verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. So I want to just start by asking you the question, what is your mindset? Meaning, what is your mind set on? What preoccupies your mind? What are you giving your attention to these days? Joel mentioned the distractions. What are the distractions that are running through your mind? Where is your focus? Um, I came across a quote like two months ago, and it's been sitting in my mind ever since. Um, It's a quote from John Milton, who wrote, you know, The Great Paradise Lost. And he has this quote about the mind that I can't get out of my mind. And it's this. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Isn't that true? And what what hit me is this idea of the mind as a place. And I kind of pictured like the mind is, is like a room that we live in, okay? It's a, like a space that we inhabit. And here's the thing. Uh, we are always in that room no matter where we go physically. We're always in the, the place of our mind. So I want to do a thought experiment with you right now, okay? So I want you to imagine that tomorrow night, Monday night at 5 p.m., um, you're going to have to do something that creates a ton of anxiety for you, Okay? So I want you to pick something right now that you're like, I do not, that would be the last thing I'd want to do tomorrow night, all right? So um, for some of you, it might be like, you, got have, you have to get a root canal tomorrow at 5 p.m., right? I've got, I'm a DK, dentist kid, so I can say that. Um, uh, or I, I, I have to go skydiving tomorrow at 5. I have to. They're going to take me up and they're going to drop me off at 5, Okay. Or I have, to, um, I have to do a public speaking engagement tomorrow at 5, right? Or there is this conflict in a relationship, and I have to have a conversation with this person. I have to call them and meet with them at 5 and work it out, okay? So you, whatever would create, whatever would get you to a 10 out of 10 on, in your, on your anxiety scale, you pick what that is, okay? It's in your mind, right? So I want you just to imagine what tomorrow looks like. So you wake up. And this rush of adrenaline just hits you, right? And you get up and you're, you've, got, you've got a fairly normal day until five. Um, so you get up and you're showering and you're anxious and you have breakfast and, you know, you, you can just feel your stomach. You don't, barely even want to eat. And then you go to work and you're doing your work for the day or you're, you know, whatever you do, you're meeting with a friend for the day, um, you're doing, running errands for the day, um, you're driving various places. And throughout the day, you're just... You can, your body is feeling the stress, and, and you're just so anxious. And finally, 5 o'clock happens, and you go through whatever it is, and then you go on with your day, all right? So I just want you to picture how you would feel and experience that whole day. Now, if someone asked you at the end of the day, how was your day, you would say, it was so 
stressful. Like I was so anxious all day long. But if someone didn't know what was going to happen at five and they just followed you around to the places you went and literally walked with you all through your day, they would say, I think they had a pretty great day. Like they got up, they took a nice warm shower. That's not stressful, right? They had breakfast. That's not particularly stressful. They drove to work. That can be stressful sometimes, but not that bad. They had, they had lunch with a friend. I mean, that's pretty great. And, you know, they drove around. They did have, there was 30 minutes, I think, that was really stressful of their day. Like, they had to get a root canal. That was, that was a bummer. But otherwise, you know, pretty good day. But for you, it was, it was, it was painfully stressful the whole day. Why? Because the mind is its own place. Because wherever you went, you were in that room of your mind, even though the rooms that you inhabited physically actually weren't very stressful, minus 30 minutes of your day. But the mind is its own place and can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. Your mind was set on something, and you never left the room of your mind wherever you went all day long, right? Now, this is also why two people can experience the same thing and come out with in, in radically different ways, right? I mean, like two people can go through the exact same kind of suffering or the same challenge, and one person emerges from that resentful, bitter, uh, cynical, and another can emerge from that humbled but hopeful, right? Same experience but they process that experience through the room of their minds. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to close your eyes for a moment, if you would. This will only take you like 30 seconds, okay? And what I want you to do, I want you to close your eyes so that you can no longer see this room. Now you are only in the room of your mind, right? And I want you right now um, to picture the room of your mind. So even imagine your mind is a room and there's, there's four walls, right? There may be some windows in this room. Uh, the, the walls may be colored a certain color. There's, there's some furniture. Might be a couch or some chairs or a table. Um, there might be some pictures or little messages that, you know, home is where the heart is, you know, in your little room. Maybe there's even music playing. But this is the room of your mind, and it's the place that you always are. You never leave it. And what I want you to be considering today is this. What is the feel of this room? Is this an inviting place for you to be? Is this a life-giving place for you to be? Is it restful? Is it pleasant? If you had a really good friend, would you, would you say, hey, you should spend a lot of time in here. This is a great place to be. Would you want that for your good friend or not? And the truth is, wherever you go, you are always in this room. All right, you can open your eyes. So that is why I think partly the mind is so important in our daily lives, in particular in this life with Christ and it's why it's the beginning of it, transformation has to happen in the mind if it's going to happen anywhere else. So um, let me read these five verses to you, just maybe even with that picture in your mind, all right? Let me read verse 5 through 9. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. 
The mind controlled by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh can't please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. So he's describing two mindsets, right? Two rooms, if I can use that analogy today. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time is just describe these two rooms to you based off of this passage and then invite us into the mindset of the spirit, into the room in which the spirit dwells and the truth of God reigns, all right? All right, so first let's consider the mindset of the flesh, um, and I'm just going to, I'm just going to, this, this is exactly what Paul says in these verses. Here's what it says. The mindset of the flesh, it, sets, it is set on what the flesh desires, right? He, call, he says, it is death. It is hostile to God. It does not submit to his law, and it cannot please God, right? This is his summary of the mind of the flesh. And let me just, again, to define flesh, or maybe sinful nature is maybe what your translation has. Um, this is the mindset that we are born with, being born into a fallen world, okay? And if I had to summarize it, it is that independent, prideful streak in us, okay, that wants to be in charge, that wants to decide for ourselves how we're going to live, that puts the self at the center and aims to satisfy the self in various ways in life, right? And I think the roots of the flesh go all the way back to the story of Genesis 3. And I know I often go back to Genesis 3, but everything kind of starts there. So I think it's important to, to go back there. So you guys know the story. God puts Adam and Eve, this beautiful garden, amazing place, a very generous God, lavishing these amazing gifts on them. He places one prohibition at the center of the garden. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he says, don't eat that one, okay? Trust me, don't eat it. All of this is yours. Don't eat it. Enter the serpent. And he starts weaving these false messages that go something like, why would a good God not want his children to eat a really good-looking tree? Seems like God is actually holding you back from something. God is withholding something good for you. You can't trust him. You've got to take matters in your own hands. You've got to seize life for yourself. That's the only way you're going to find fulfillment in life. And they do, okay? And I think at that, at, in that moment, the, the mind of the flesh, the mindset of the flesh enters the world. And if I had to summarize it, I think it's, the mindset is based off of two, two lies. Here they are. The first is you cannot trust God. Okay? You can't trust him. He doesn't love you. He's withholding good things from you. He's keeping you down. He doesn't have your best in mind. You cannot trust him. Therefore, you are on your own to find happiness. You need to take matters into your own hands to procure happiness for yourself in whatever way you can. And so when we talk about the room, this room of the mind, I think those are the two messages of the room of the mindset of the flesh. You can't trust God, and so you're on your own to figure out what happiness looks like for yourself. That's what it is, okay? So, and, and with those two truths, there's all these false messages that the mind of the flesh is set on. So I want to I try to get us inside of this a little bit. Um, the mind of the flesh. I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm going to try to be, I'll give you my own. Here's my room, okay? 
When Dave is operating out of the old way, the old mindset of the flesh, can't trust God, you got to get, get, you know, figure it out for yourself. Um, I was trying to identify what are the messages that are a part of the, the furniture of my mental room. And this is a dangerous exercise, by the way, you know, but um, here's three that I identified. There's more than this, but here's three of them for me. Uh, here's a message. It's like written on the walls of the, the old mindset for me. It's this message right here. You need to be extraordinary. At some point in my life, I embraced a false message that to find happiness and joy, I need to be special. I need to be extraordinary. Okay, we can psychoanalyze that later. Um, but that is a message that's part of the, the furniture of that room of my mind. Uh, here's another one. You need everyone's approval. If, if people can be happy with you, you can be happy with you, right? So that's, that's just an underlying message. You need everyone's approval. And here's, here's another one. Um, you need tranquility, meaning tranquil circumstances. You need to, you need to, to figure out a life that that has little challenge and little conflict, and you need to avoid those things because if you can have tranquility externally, then you will be happy and you will find peace internally. Um, Now, let me just tell you that that room has a particular feel to it. And if one spends their life in that room, uh, that has certain consequences, okay? Now, you might have your own room. Let me just mention some other messages that come from the flesh. Um, Here's one. You need to look successful, Okay, that is written on the walls of some, uh, some people's rooms, for sure. Um, you need to have a perfect family. Uh, you need to be right all the time. Uh, you need to have lots of friends. Just make, I could make, you know, these just kind of write themselves. You need to be in control. Okay, this is part of the mental furniture of people's mental rooms. And then the reality is with when these messages are there, and when they're not being satisfied in our lives, then there's darker messages that are also part of the room, right? If I'm not looking successful, if my family isn't perfect, mine is all the time, but if it isn't, right, <laughs> then there's these darker messages that make up the landscape, like this. You're a disappointment, right? You're a failure. Uh, you're not enough. Uh, you are uninteresting, okay? Okay? These messages create a feel to a room. (laughs) And we never leave the room of our minds, right? It is a place unto itself. We walk around in that room. Wherever we go physically, we're always in the room of our minds. And so today, one of the questions we're asking ourselves is, is is that room a pleasant place to be? (laughs) Would I wish that room on somebody else that I'm living in 24-7? So here's what Paul says about that room. Oops, let me go back to, oh gosh, oh gosh. Here we go. Okay, here we go. This is all my fault. Okay, let's just look at these, right? There we go. I'm a failure. <laughs> Don't go there. What was, uh, is Bob Sklar in here right now? He had a name for these. He calls these messages, he called them ants. So he's been in the counseling world. What was it? It was like, it's like automatic negative thoughts. That's what he called them, automatic negative, right? These are messages that we don't know we're telling ourselves most of. That's what makes them powerful. They are part of the furniture, 
right? You just sit down on the couch. You don't realize the couch says you're a failure, right? (laughs) They're habituated patterns of thought that have been part of us for years. But think about this. It is death, right? Of, yes, it is. It's death. When you're thinking this way, you are cut off from the, the author of life. You're not in touch with the author of life. So yes, you're living a living death. Uh, this mind is hostile to God. When you have these messages about where happiness comes, you will be living in ways that are contrary to God. You might not even think you're being hostile to God, but the decisions you're making are hostile because they're not in line with how he wants to bring you happiness. Uh, you don't submit to his law, right? If I need a perfect family, if I need to look successful, if I need to be wealthy, I'm going to do things that are more important to me than submitting to God's way. Um, and it cannot please God. Because at the heart, what pleases God? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And the mind of the flesh is not living from a place of faith, of trust. That is the mind of the flesh. That is the room of the flesh. So let's turn to the good news. Okay? This is the good news. Look at verse 9. You, however, he's speaking to all those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. You are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. Interesting about these verses, Paul isn't even commanding us anything. He's not making any commands. He's just describing these two rooms. Then he's reminding us, you are not in the realm of the flesh. You are in the realm of the spirit. Remember who you are. And so he's describing the flesh because he knows, yes, I get it. These are relics of an old life. But that's what they are. They're an old life. They don't belong to you. They don't belong to your future. They are not who you are. And they are not the messages that the Spirit of God has for you. And transformation has to begin with beginning to believe that. I am no longer in the realm of the flesh. I am a new creation in Christ. The old is past, the new has come. Yes, I know that these things pop up. But I'm going to live over here. Okay? Yes, they'll pop up, but this, this is my reality now, the mind of the Spirit. Amen? Amen? The Spirit's work is to disarm those negative messages. Here's, here's what Paul says about the Spirit in these passages. He actually mentions two things. The, Spirit, uh, the mind of the Spirit is set on what the Spirit desires, and the mind of the Spirit is life and peace. It's very different than the mind of the flesh. But I think really at the heart, the Spirit's role in our minds is to counteract those two lies that I mentioned. The first lie that you can't trust God, right? The Spirit's role is, he is the presence of God who enters into our lives and begins convincing us, no, no, God loves you. God has good things for you. God is not out to get you. God doesn't want to withhold things. He's generous. He cares for his kids. You can trust him. That's what conversion is all about. Trust, right? Faith, coming to believe, God, I can trust you. I can trust you with my life. And therefore then, because you can trust him, it's not up to you. You don't have to go it alone anymore. 
You don't have to try to find life and, and satisfaction and happiness for yourself. You can trust God to bring that to you in his own way and in his own times. Walk with him. Follow him. Obey him. He will bring you fulfillment in a way that you can never get if you go after it on your own. It's the opposite of that independent, prideful streak that says it's up to me. It's this humble, trusting, resting, waiting on God, looking to God for joy, for happiness, for, for fulfillment. So here's what I'd like to do um, to kind of end our time. I'd like to just look at the rest of Romans 8. And I want to try to describe to you the mind of the Spirit. And I'm just going to give you like four foundations of this room that is the mind of the Spirit. And there's, there's more to it than this. But these are the foundational truths about this room, this mental room that we now get to inhabit because of the Spirit of God. Okay? And again, we could, we could talk about the, the Spirit's mindset regarding marriage or the Spirit's mindset regarding money or the Spirit's mindset regarding relationships, anything in the world. But I want to just go after, these are the foundations of what then shapes all those other thoughts, okay? These are the things that the Spirit wants to renew our minds with. And we started this whole series by Jesus saying, he will take from what is mine and make it known to you. And really, that's, that's the heart of the Spirit's ministry is to take what is Jesus what the things that belong to Jesus and make them known to us, all right? So I want to just describe this room and I want you to know today that the good news is you can live in this room every day of your life, no matter what physical location you go to. And in fact, that's God's desire for you, that you would live in the room I'm about to describe, that I would live in the room I'm about to describe, all right? So four aspects of this mental room. It all has to do with the fact that we are now in Christ. Through faith in Christ, you are now in the person of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. You are attached to him forever. And all that is his is now yours, all right? Here's the first part of this room. Look at verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So here's the first part. There is no condemnation. So I want you to picture this room, okay, this mental room, and I want you just to picture the walls, and they're sturdy, they're strong walls, and what it means is no condemnation ever gets in from the outside. It's a condemnation-free zone that you live in. Always. You inhabit it in your mind because you are in Christ. Okay? Now, so many of us live with voices of condemnation, whether that, that comes from other people or whether that comes from within or both, probably. And what you need to remember is that the mind of the Spirit is like, no, no more of that. That belongs outside this space always. There is never a moment in your life where a significant voice of accusation has any power over your life anymore. Okay? There is no condemnation. God never condemns you anymore once you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Ever. Okay? The Spirit brings conviction, right? That's his role. He convicts us of sin. Sometimes he even disciplines us, but never 
condemnation, never punishment for punishment's sake, ever. Okay, it doesn't belong in the room ever. (laughs) This is what the Spirit wants to do in your mind is convince you of that truth. Convince me of that truth so that I live there every single day. Okay, that's the first aspect of this room. Second aspect, there's more than these, but let's jump to verse 14. Okay, this is what we read a couple, couple um, weeks ago. I'm going to read a couple verses here. For those who are led by the Spirit, here's the truth, are children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Okay, here's the second truth of this room. We are beloved children of the king. So I want you to picture this, might get a little cheesy, you know, but um, picture the couch or the chairs. And they're like these royal, it's like these red velvet couch chairs that like princesses and princes sit on, okay? And this is the couch that you lay on. This is the chair you sit on. You are a child of the king in Christ Jesus, Okay, that is an image of affection and delight and love. And it is also an image of authority that you step into the world with status and authority because you're a child of the king. And so whatever else is going on in this world, whatever other powers and principalities are operative in your life, you're a, you're a stinking child of the king, right? Like you're like, you're it, I want to say a strong word, but like you're, mm, you're, right? Like you, you're an heir. You wear a crown. You are destined for, to inherit this whole place. It's all going to be yours one day. We're, we're, we're children of the king. We have his love and affection. We have all of his resources available to us to meet our needs at any moment. Okay? We're not slaves. We're children. You can, you can sit on that couch all day long, and you should. That's where we're meant to, our minds are meant to dwell. Uh, let me give you a third truth. Uh, let's go to verse 28. Here's a famous one. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And then let's jump to verse 31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's the next one. God is for us, working in all things for our good. So, you know, maybe, um, maybe you can picture in this room, there's, um, there's like a, a framed picture. <laughs> and, and it says something like, I am for you in all things. And you get to every day look at this picture. It might be this nature scene or whatever, but that that message is written in. I am for you in all things. And I am amazed at how many Christians don't believe that God is for them. Like if you can get inside of their where they actually live, that there's this voice that says, I think God is actually against me. Like, he's out to get me. Like, the other shoe's going to drop one day. And I know why, because I know some of the things I've done. I know that I'm a disappointment. And so I know God it just kind of looks at me and is like, ah, you know, 
again. There it goes again. And that is not where the Spirit wants us to be living. He wants us to be living. God said, I am for you. I'm always for you. I'm never not for you. And in everything that happens, I'm actually at work in it for your good, to, to make you more and more like my son, Jesus Christ. And we can, we can live in that, that little word, for. <laughs> no matter what, what the circumstances, I can trust in that little word, for. Last one. Verse 38. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's the final part of this room. Nothing can separate us from his love in Jesus Christ. And so maybe in this room, you, you want to picture there's, there's a song that is always playing. And the song is, is something like, you know, you, you are loved. You are loved. Nothing can separate you from that love. And as you look out, you know, to the future of your day, something you're anticipating with anxiety, you can hear that song. Whatever this thing is, no matter how hard or tr- tricky or painful, it can't do anything to separate me from an unconditional love. So what would it be like to live in that room 24-7? And I believe that that is the work that the Spirit is doing in us. That room right there, that is where true transformation begins to happen. And when we're not living in that room, it becomes very hard for genuine transformation to happen. And so the Spirit is inviting us into that room, one step at a time, one day at a time. But that's where we're intended to dwell. That is, that is the room that we will one day dwell in all the time. So here's the invitation, is to set our mind on, on the things of the Spirit. Practically speaking, I think what that means is simply preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. Waking up and preaching the gospel to ourselves every day. I'll leave you with this quote. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way. He says, most unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we listen to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. You know what he means there? Right? The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself, to question yourself, and to preach to yourself. You must remind yourself of who God is and what God has done and what God has promised to do. That's how we keep in step with what the Spirit wants to do is we preach the gospel to ourselves. And I just want to invite you into this. Um, I've been doing this every morning in the new year. Um, I think I have a piece of paper here. That, there it is. Uh, and so what I've, I want to invite you into this. And um, out on the, in the foyer below the flat screen, I've printed out a bunch of these. Don't take it if you don't want it. But I've just been waking up and walking through a reminder of who I am in Christ. And what it is, it's basically putting off, starting, going, Lord, here, here's the, here are the voices that are screaming in my mind right now, and I just want to surrender those to you, and I, I get real specific with what those are. I even look at my dangle. Here's the temptations that I'm going to face. Here's where those voices are going to be. I just want to surrender that to you. And then I spend some time just reminding myself of who I'm in Christ, putting on the mind of the Spirit. And so there's a piece of paper out there that can kind of, in two minutes, you could walk through that every morning. I invite you to that practice. I will say this. I find myself much more centered, uh, more present, 
and much less anxious, uh, at least two months into this thing. So I want to invite you into that. Let's pray. Father, I pray, even as we worship you together now, Lord, I pray your spirit do a ministry in our minds. Many of us in this room live with some really tough messages inside our minds. And they're loud and they're consistent and they, um, they define a lot of how we navigate our lives. Lord, would you today, in a fresh way, first of all, Give us the confidence that that can actually change. And some of us don't think that that can change. We think that is the message we're stuck with for the rest of our lives. And, and only your power can break that conviction. And so I pray that you'd break the power of, of that idea that this can't change. And maybe today for some of us is a day where for the first time we believe, oh, maybe that can change. In fact, maybe that's not what you have for me. Maybe you have something different and better for me. So where we need to just be broken of that, Lord, would you do that? And, and I pray in some just real practical ways that you would be, your, your truth would flood our minds this week. Particularly these, these gospel truths that, that you love us, that you are for us, that you forgive us, that there's no condemnation, that you're with us, and that you will work in all things for our good, Lord. Rearrange the furniture, Lord, um, that you would bring freedom. Jesus, you said that if we know the truth, the truth will set us free. So bring your truth today and set us free, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.